Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew, I mean to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We look at verses 13 to 35 today. Have you ever noticed how after big exciting events, uh, people often don't quite know what to do with themselves? In spite of the excitement, there's confusion and uncertainty, and, and they suddenly wonder, now what? Jesus' disciples experienced that kind of uncertainty after the resurrection. They'd been on a roller coaster of emotions. They were excited over the prospect of the kingdom and that their hopes had been crushed when Jesus was crucified. And now in the midst of their grief, they hear reports that he could be alive. What does all this mean? Is everything going to be back like it was? Or what is going to happen? It seemed everything has changed in short, in the midst of all the confusion, now what? The truth is, we still experience this today. Even in our celebration of Jesus' resurrection last Sunday, Easter morning, expectations are high in the church. We met right after sunrise out on the hill to rejoice that Jesus is raised from the dead. We come here and, and uh, we celebrate this unfathomable event and singing praise, and we meet together and have a great meal afterwards, and, and then so quickly Easter's over. And then what? Jesus' resurrection happened over 2,000 years ago in a, a different culture halfway around the world. We can re- recall the historical event on a Sunday, but what now? How do we connect with that truth today? In our text this morning, in the verses immediately following the account of Jesus' resurrection in Luke, we're told of a wonderfully touching incident which occurred in the evening of the day Jesus rose from the dead. And here we learn some key truths about being a disciple of Jesus now risen from the dead. Let me read it. This is the Wonderful uh, incident of, on the road to Emmaus. It's a little bit lengthy to read, but I'm going to read it because it's such a great thing. Uh, Luke 24, beginning with verse 13 down to uh, 35. Now that same day, two of uh, that's Jesus' disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's now the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. 
How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as we talked with, as he talked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This story has been called a literary and spiritual jewel, and indeed it is. But the genius of this text is what it teaches us about knowing the Lord now. There are two truths. The first is this. The scriptures show Jesus' greatness. The scriptures show Jesus' greatness. It's late in the afternoon, as we just read, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and two of his disciples are filled with confusion and bewilderment. They head off from, home, from Jerusalem back home. And as they start to walk, seven-mile trek to the little town of Emmaus, they're talking about everything that's happened. Suddenly Jesus comes and joins them and walks along with them, but they do not recognize him. Why didn't they recognize him? They knew Jesus. Why didn't they know him now? Mark, who doesn't really tell this story, but just makes mention of it, says something about Jesus' form being changed, which we know from other passages. But here, verse 16 makes it clear that even more than that was going on, that the Lord kept them from recognizing him. Now, that's a bit mysterious, but I think we'll see the reason for it as we go. So as they walk along, Jesus asks them what, why, what they're discussing, and at first they can't believe he doesn't know. You're a visitor here. Surely you must know. Everybody knows what happened. And so they go on to explain. Interestingly, uh, Michael uh, Wilcock in his uh, commentary on this says, they knew all the facts about Jesus. They knew all about Jesus' ministry, his words and his actions. They knew all about the leaders handing him over to be crucified. They knew all about their hopes that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. They knew something was significant about the third day. And, and they had heard the reports that Jesus' body was gone and the testimony that perhaps he was risen. They knew all about Jesus, but they did not really know Jesus. You see, they were kept from recognizing Jesus so that he might teach them and teach us a great truth that it is in the scriptures as they unfold Jesus that we will see his glory and his greatness. You see that there in verses 25 and 7. He said to them, how foolish you are. 
And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus calls them foolish and slow of heart because they didn't understand the Old Testament scriptures. The law and the prophets, as it's called. And then he goes on to teach them what we might call a new hermeneutic, if you're a theologian. Teach them a whole new way to understand the meaning of the scriptures. He shows them, beginning with the law and all the way through the prophets, he shows them that the point of the whole Bible is to make Christ Jesus known. Let me say that again. The point of the whole Bible is to make Christ Jesus known. And sure enough, as we study the scriptures, we find him everywhere. In the beginning, God spoke, let there be light, and the creation began. But in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, we learn that the word of God, the creating word of God, is this Jesus. After Adam's fall into sin, God promised that the seed of the woman someday would arise and destroy Satan. Jesus is that seed of the woman, that virgin-born son. When God made a covenant with Abraham later, God promised that childless man a son. But ultimately, Jesus was the promised heir of Abraham, who would bless the whole world. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, the Passover pointed forward to Jesus. We learn in the New Testament, he's the true, the ultimate Passover lamb. As they wandered in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the tabernacle, a pillar of cloud by, by day and fire by night. But that Shekinah glory has pointed us to Jesus, who we find in Hebrews is the brightness of the Father's glory. The manna which fed God's people in the wilderness pointed to Jesus, for he himself said, I am the bread come down from heaven. Everywhere we look in the scriptures, we see Jesus foreshadowed. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the living water from the rock. He's the ultimate lawgiver and judge. He's the promised prophet greater than Moses. He's the the true Joshua. His name is Joshua. He's the captain of our salvation. He is our portion, our inheritance uh, uh, from the Lord. He is the kinsman redeemer that we read about in in Ruth. He's the great high priest, the mediator between God and man. He's the anointed one, the God's chosen king, the son of David who would rule. He's the wisdom that uh, we see in in Solomon, he's the temple God dwelling on the earth. He's the holy one seen by Isaiah. He's the, the, the Emmanuel promised. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that Isaiah predicted. He's the branch, the heir of David's coming out of Jesse's stump. He's the suffering servant who will take on the sins of the world. He's the great shepherd promised by Ezekiel. He's the living redeemer whom Job foresaw and trusted in. He's the lover and bridegroom of his people. He's the long-awaited Sabbath rest. 
in whom we delight. He is the Christ, the promised Messiah. Jesus himself said, search the scriptures. They testify of me. It's the scriptures that show Jesus' greatness and glory. Their problem was not just that they had not yet learned to see Jesus as he's betrayed in the scripture. Their problem was that even when they saw something of him, they only would see what they wanted to see, just like we do. They and all Jews knew the prophecies of a Messiah coming to establish a kingdom. That was their great hope and dream. But through the prophets, God also foretold that his Messiah would suffer for the sins of his people that they didn't want to hear. And so Jesus, as Jesus unfolds the scripture to show his greatness, he pointedly explains about his suffering. Verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? First suffering, then glory. In fact, he explains the same thing later when he's talking to the 11 down in verse 45. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. People always naturally want a leader, a king who conquers and has a glorious reign But you see, there could be no glorious victory. There could be no kingdom unless God first dealt with our sin. Otherwise, we would all be destroyed when the king came in to judge. But when Jesus came, he disclosed this wonderful mystery of God's plan that first he would come and bear our judgment to make of us his people. And later he would come to bring judgment which we would only escape because of him. And then we would see the fullness of the glorious kingdom. And how do we come to know all that? The scriptures unfold Jesus' glory, his person and his plan. You see, because these disciples were used to knowing Jesus only according to the flesh, the way we know people, we see each other, we talk to each other, we hear each other, we, we, we travel in the same circles. That's how the Jesus, they were with Jesus. But they had to learn to know Jesus in a new and better way. And this new way is the same way we know Jesus. In the scriptures, on every page, God reveals his son and his wonderful plan to save us. Do you know Jesus that way? Not just facts about his life. Not just a Jesus as you like to think of him. Do you grasp who he is and what he's doing as he is disclosed in the scriptures? So often people, even Christians, think that such a pursuit of knowing Jesus would be really boring. But listen to the testimony of these disciples. As they look back on this encounter with Jesus, in verse 32, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
You see, it's not in seeing Jesus. It was not seeing Jesus alive that got him so excited. It was being taught what the scriptures said about Jesus that they never understood. And when they began to understand, they couldn't get enough. Stay with us, they said. Stay, stay. They just couldn't get enough of the sweet disclosure of Jesus once they began to truly understand the scriptures. Yes, Jesus lived and died half a world away 2,000 years plus ago, but you can know him today. For the scriptures show Jesus' greatness, the beauty of his person, the glory of his saving plan. Uh, but that's not the end of the story. The Lord has another truth to teach us here more briefly. Secondly, Jesus shows his presence in the supper. Jesus shows his presence in the supper. The scripture shows his greatness. But Jesus shows his presence in the supper. These disciples walking along with this stranger are in for a huge surprise. When they get to Emmaus, they beg the stranger to stay. It's too late to continue traveling. So they, get, they settle down and settle around the table to eat. And then a strange thing happens. Jesus, who is their guest, suddenly takes on the role of the host. He takes the bread and he gives thanks. And he breaks the bread and begins to give them something to eat. And according to verse 31, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. In the supper, Jesus showed his presence. This is an interesting event, for it's tied to many other events of the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Jesus repeatedly appeared to his disciples during those days and taught them how to understand the scriptures. But also repeatedly, when he appeared to them, he ate with them. It happened here in Emmaus. It happened later the same night with the 11 back in Jerusalem in the upper room. In John 21, Jesus fixed breakfast for his disciples on the beach and ate with them. In fact, he was eating with them in Acts 1 when he promised the coming of his spirit. And in Acts 10, Peter commented that he often ate with them during those days. You see, Jesus eating with his disciples not only proved that he was really alive, not a ghost, really alive. It also taught them that he would keep his promise to be present with them till the end of time. And in these many, many appearances of his eating with them, The spiritual food which Jesus' presence gave to his disciples was communicated to them with the eating of physical food. That's how he chose to teach them about his continuing presence with them. And folks, do you not see that's what the Lord's Supper does for us? It's not exactly the same thing as Jesus eating with them on the beach or eating with them in Emmaus, but it's similar. It's parallel. Here we eat and drink the symbols 
of Jesus' body and blood. And we do so with God's promise that this is a fellowship, a participation in his body and blood. In a very special way, Jesus comes near to us here. Here we see him. Not not physically, like his disciples once did, but with the eyes of faith as he taught his disciples to see him in Emmaus. And thus, like the early church, we become more keenly aware that the risen Christ is in our midst. The Belgian Confession puts it this way. This banquet is a spiritual table at which which Christ communicates to us himself with all his benefits. At this table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death. As he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by eating of his flesh and revives and renews us by the drinking of his blood. And so he works among us as we come to this table this morning. For in the supper, Jesus communicates his presence to us. We sing about it regularly as we will again this morning as we distribute the bread. Here, oh my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here grasp with firmer hand eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. Here would I feed upon the bread of God. Here drink with thee the royal wine of heaven. Here would I lay aside each earthly load. Here taste afresh the calm of sins forgiven. This is the hour of banquet and of song. This is the heavenly table spread for me. Here let me feast and feasting still prolong the brief bright hour of fellowship with thee. People do just about anything to make God more real. And so we see all kinds of wild and strange things posing as worship these days. But while the world and some misguided churches seek in vain for something new, Jesus meets us in his word and in the sacraments. It's hard to overstate the the importance of this truth. Fred Craddock, who's written well on the Gospel of Luke, notes this. Let me read a little lengthy quote from him. He said, there were special appearances of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, to a number of his followers for 40 days before he was received up into heaven. Yet were that the whole story, All believers except those few would experience only the absence of Christ. They would have to try to keep faith alive on the thin diet of him once having been seen by 
someone else. Thus, all subsequent generations would have been secondhand Christians, removed by time and place from the Camelot of Luke and Acts. But Luke here tells us that the living Christ is both the key to our understanding the scriptures and the very present Lord who is revealed to us in the breaking of bread. His presence at the table makes all believers first-generation Christians and every meeting place an Emmaus. In the scriptures, Jesus discloses his greatness and his glory. In the supper, he makes his presence known. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we can talk about these things. We can acknowledge what we read, but here is spiritual reality that we cannot see We cannot control. We only know when you speak to us, when you show us your presence, when you cause us to know that you're alive, when you cause us to hear your word as certainly as if you just spoke it from your own mouth, when you cause the supper to be not just a remembrance, but a participation in your body and blood. Oh, Spirit of God, work your wonderful work in us as we gather today and we gather week after week to look at your word, to celebrate the sacraments. May we be first-generation Christians who know ourselves, the living Jesus, And never forget. In his name we pray. Amen.